Dear Tim, the good gift that was entrusted to me, I now hand over to you. Guard this gift, grow it, and pass it on to those to come. Always, it's an honor um, to be speaking to you tonight, here tonight. Um, we are continuing, like Bernie said, in our series in the book of 2 Timothy. And I don't know about you, but this letter that Paul has written to dear Tim has really been messing with me in a big way. It's been getting right under my skin. And, um, but tonight, I think God wants to go deeper still. And not just with me, but with you too because that's what God's word does. It cuts deep and straight to the heart of the matter. So on that note, let's pray. Holy Spirit, come. Fill this place and do what only you can do. Would you illuminate your word for us tonight, God? Would you speak a rhema word? specific to us. God, I pray that you would grab hold of us tonight as we look at some serious content. God, I pray as always that you would have your way, have your way, have your way in this place and in our hearts. In Jesus' precious name, amen. So let's recap so far where we've been with 2 Timothy. So the Apostle Paul and writer of much of the New Testament and one of the greatest missionaries to ever live is in prison again. But this time he's not going to make it out and he knows it. Um, Nero is in power and persecuting Christians and Paul is being held in a dungeon where he is about to get beheaded. So Paul in this dispatch from death row Um, pens a letter, the very last letter that he will ever write, to his protege, Timothy, who he has been a spiritual father, mentor um, for nearly 20 years. And Timothy, who has been teaching and pastoring the church in Ephesus, has been struggling big time. People have been opposing him, questioning his authority, questioning if he's worthy of the position that he's in. And we learned last week that there had been lots of arguing and quarreling going on in the church of Ephesus. Paul tells Timothy over and over to remind God's people against entering into a war of words. And a more literal translation is don't get into word wars, Timothy. That such word wars and arguments are useless And they can ruin those who hear them. He tells Timothy to avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. That their teaching will spread like gangrene as in the case of these two guys with really unfortunate names, and I hope I say it right, Hymenaeus and Philetus, who had left the truth, left the path of truth, and their false teachings had turned some people away from the faith. Now, the first week of Dear Tim, we talked about how, that how we see and think about ourselves, what we root our identity in, 
is how we will engage the world. And last week, Bree did a fabulous job as she challenged us with this question. Who or what are we listening to? And I would like to ask us tonight what it is that we believe. Have we left the path of truth? Have we been misdirected in some way? What false, myth, what false, myth, false myths have we believed or bought into? So for fun, and this is the only fun we're going to have tonight, so you better get into it. <laughs> I'm going to read out some statements to see if you've ever been told the following. So who's ever been told that sitting too close to the TV will ruin your eyesight? Yes. Guess what? Not true. It's not true. It doesn't hurt your eyesight. I read that. Oh, how about this one? How about eating carrots will give you night vision? Who's been told that? Apparently, it's not true. It promotes good eye health, but doesn't improve your eyesight. How about this one? I was told this. So if you swallow your bubble gum, it will stay in your stomach for seven years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who's been told that? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yes. How about this one? Who, who's been told that drinking coffee will stunt your growth? Yes, yes. How about this one? You can't go swimming for one hour after eating or you will get a cramp. How many hours did we sit on the side of the pool waiting for that hour? Apparently it's not true. We were robbed, man. We were robbed. How about this one? This is a who's been told this. The family pet went to live on a farm <laughs> where you'll have lots of room to run and play forever. <laughs> Your pet's gone on vacation. Yes. How about this one? If you touch a frog, you will get warts. Yes, yeah. Um, how about this one? Eating watermelon seeds will cause a tree to grow inside your stomach. <laughs> yeah. How about this one? If you keep making that face, it will stay that way forever. Yes. Yeah, when the wind changes, yeah. How about this one? And because I grew up in a Latin family, my uncles used to say this a lot, you eat that chili, you're going to get hair on your chest. Didn't eat it for like years, man, for, for like years. Anybody told that you would get hair on your chest if you ate chili? No? Okay. I believe so many of those, and probably in just till recently, a lot of that I thought was really true. But I think this Spark ad captures it perfectly. So let me play this Spark ad. You guys have seen this. It's brilliant. If you pee in the pool, will the water really change colour? Does the TV only work when it's raining? Can a stalk really carry a baby? Does the internet turn off at seven every night? Can a goldfish run away? Is Santa always watching? It's a common misconception that water... gonna rule the world? Don't you know, don't you know We are gonna rule the world Don't you know, don't you know We're gonna put it together We're gonna put it together We need to talk We're gonna rule the world Come on, man, I love that Generation voices here, yes, we, we're starting to put this together. But seriously, church, tonight, we need to talk. We need to talk. Because what we believe to be true affects what we do, and our behaviors follow our beliefs. 
And for many of us, if we don't have a behavior problem, we have a truth problem. And if you want to know what you truly believe, watch um, how you behave. Because one always follows the other. Tonight, Paul in the following passages is going to challenge Timothy and us on what it looks like to be a Jesus follower in a hostile environment. He's going to call us all to maturity in our faith. And then he's going to paint a sobering picture for us in chapter three about what can happen when we, at our core, have a misdirection of beliefs. So you can either follow along in your Bibles or on your Bible apps, or it'll be up on the screen, but we are picking up where we left off last week um, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. And Paul says this, dear Tim, there it is. He says this, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. And here's the recurring theme. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. Paul tells Timothy to flee the evil desires of youth. And I think that's an odd thing to say since Timothy is like in his 40s. But Paul isn't necessarily talking about sexual sins here either because I think we can read, that, read into that. Um, it's the propensity or the tendency for us as followers of Jesus or young in the faith to argue about religion and to be divisive with our words. Paul isn't talking about a good healthy debate either, it's rather to stay away from foolish quarrels, controversies and arguments. He says that when people are involved in an argument, especially about religion, it starts to get really heated. So flee Timothy, back away and don't have anything to do with it. Now interestingly, that word quarrel in the Greek is where we get the word macho from. Like when people are in a heated debate or argument that it can um, quickly cease to be about mutual learning, but more of an ego trip. I remember my daughter um, telling me about a time in um, a theology class that she was taking where the conversation debate suddenly turned into an ugly, negative mocking of Pentecostals, and the manifestations of the Holy Spirit like healing, et cetera, et cetera. She said she was just sitting there listening to that for a while and she said she was thinking, that's all very well and that's all very well guys, but the reality is Mike over here has got a sore back, so can we go over and lay hands on him and pray for him? And, and I absolutely love that because she was like um, just thinking that but, but all that arguing, and there was a lot of it during that semester that she was doing um, that course, it really, really messed with her head. And um, what I'm so glad about is that she was able to talk with Peter and I through a lot of that stuff. And I remember her even talking with Craig, meeting with him about some of the stuff that she was learning. Um, and it took her a long time to kind of get over that, all that arguing and debating. Paul warns Timothy and us to stay away from foolish arguments and word wars because it can ruin those who hear it, especially when it turns ugly. And it's sad, but churches can argue and split apart over the color of carpet or how loud the worship band is or the type of worship music being played, etc. And I suppose that those are just the surface issues, that there are deeper hurts and offenses going on. And I read this quote in a commentary that I have never, ever forgotten. And it said this, 
Do you know how many people it takes to split a church? Not half the congregation, just two. One to start spreading the fiery negativity and another not to confront the behavior as a sin that it is. Raising A. Church, our words have a chain reaction. They can set into motion a series of events, erratic, difficult to stop, destructive, and not just for you, but for everyone around you. And if we're not careful, word wars will be the end of us. Paul is calling Timothy and God's people, which is us, to be mature followers of Christ. In other words, to grow up. And what does growing up look like? It is someone who pursues righteousness, faith, love, and peace. So chase righteousness, Timothy. And that doesn't mean not just, that doesn't mean just to be moral, like don't get drunk or don't watch R-rated movies, etc. It's more about doing what is right. To the ancient rabbis, that word righteous, to them, the core, at the core of it, was about helping the poor. And they got that from the prophets. Micah 6 says, what does the Lord require of you? And I love that question. What does the Lord require of you? And he answers, to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. I love how the message version sums up all of these verses in 2 Timothy, and it says this, stay clear of pious talk that is only talk. Words are not mere words, you know. If they're not backed up by a godly life, they accumulate as poison in the soul. I think Eugene Peterson nailed that. We go on, verse 24, Paul goes on to say, once again to Timothy. Yep. He says, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach and not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Paul is saying that as the Lord's servants, and I love that, that being kind and gentle when sharing the good news of Jesus Christ is so key. You know, before I became a Christ follower, I remember working with someone who was a Christian, but was so overtly anti-Catholic, which I was at the time. Um, I went, you know, staunch Catholic, 12 years of Catholic schooling. And they would proceed to tell me every chance they got that just about everything I'd ever believed my whole life was wrong. Um, they wanted to banter and spar with me about it. Looking back, I can see now that they were really passionate about their faith, but that didn't win me over. It just made me avoid them and try and get a different workshop when they were on. Um, Arguing and debating and Bible bashing people is not an evangelism strategy. You may be able to prove your point, but you could lose your platform. You may be able to prove that you're right, but not show others that you've been made righteous, declared righteous by the grace and blood of Jesus. For me, and this is so true, it was the kindness of the Lord through his people who gently shared the gospel with me that led to repentance. And that's in Romans 2.4, and I'm paraphrasing. Paul tells Timothy to be kind to everyone. And I looked that up. The word everyone in the Greek 
means every and one. <laughs> everyone, be kind to everyone. Whatever their race, ethnicity, religious background, etc., be kind to any, everyone. Gently instruct them in the hope that God, God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. And that they will come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil who is taking them captive to do his will. Come to their senses literally means to sober up, to come out from under the influence of the devil. Paul is talking about people who are captives operating under the reign of the prince of the air and the father of lies, the enemy of God. And they don't even know that they're captives because they're under the enemy's influence. Paul then switches gears as he describes in the next chapter what full-blown captivity looks like. And here's what's so sobering, that it's in the church. Verses like these honestly keep me awake at night. 2 Timothy chapter 3. He says, Timothy, but mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. Let me just stop there for a moment. That word terrible is only used one other time, and that's in Matthew's gospel, and it's translated as violent and fierce. So he's saying there will be terrible, violent, fierce times in the last days. And the last days is a term that you see throughout scripture. It is um, the time between Jesus and his return. Now there is different schools of thought on that and we aren't gonna debate or argue about that tonight. But interestingly, Paul is talking about the last days then too, because he is instructing Timothy how to respond to these people. So we know that they were amongst them at that time. Now listen to what he says next in this list. He says, people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good. Imagine that. Treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Check this out. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. Timothy, have nothing to do with such people. <sighs> Honestly, I, I would have rather preferred to be in the Psalms or something, a happier book. But when I read that, I was just like, man, just blown away by that. So let's go through them one by one. Now, the list starts with being lovers of self. These people are narcissistic and selfish and totally into their comfort. They are the biggest thing in their world. They will be lovers of money. Money is their idol. They will be boastful and proud because success is their idol. They will only do something if they're good at it so they can brag about it. They're abusive because power is that kind of person's idol. They hurt others for sport, physically or verbally. They are disobedient to their parents and rebellious. They have issues with authority. They are ungrateful, which means they feel entitled. They are unholy. They want to be loved more by the world than by Jesus. They are without love. It means they lack compassion. 
And in the Greek, that is literally translated heartless. When they see someone in need, they think it's their fault. They're unforgiving. And that means that they harbor bitterness. And what do you do in a harbor? It's where you drop anchor. So they drop anchor in their bitterness. These people are slanderous. That word slanderous literally means devil, diablo. They speak evil of others. They love to tear others apart with their words. You see, that's what the enemy does. He's the accuser. They are without self-control. They do whatever feels good. And apparently that is the mantra for the satanic church. Do what you want. People will be brutal. And this word means untamed and uncivilized. They are not lovers of the good. They are treacherous. They don't keep their word and are disposed towards betrayal. They are rash and not considerate of others. They are conceited, self-centered, and confident in their own strength. They are lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And Philippians 3 says that their God is their appetite. They don't want God, they just want his stuff. And I find it so interesting that all these vices, all these things, what it is. And I love how one commentary put it, and I think it's profound, so it's, well, put it up on the screen. He says, the list begins and ends with words expressing a misdirection of love. This suggests that what is fundamentally wrong with these people is that life is misdirected, is that love is misdirected, and that the other vices flow from this misdirection. It's a misdirection of love. And as I was thinking about that, I think, gosh, I guess the opposite of these would be loving things, to be grateful, to be holy, to be considerate, um, you know, to be kind and generous. Those are all loving things. So these are the direct opposites. It's love gone wrong. It's a misdirection of love and desires that has turned in on itself. And the bookends of this list are the first one, lovers of self, and the last one, lovers of pleasure rather than God. Or if you put them side by side, they are the parents and the rest of the list is the offspring. Any followers of Jesus can be like those things on that list momentarily. I don't think Paul is talking about when we are momentarily conceited, rash, or selfish. And I don't think he's talking about unbelievers either. He's talking about people in the church who have a pattern of this type of behavior. They have a form of godliness, but deny, denying its power. This literally translates that these people are outwardly godly. They look like a Christian, but on the inside, they lack the spirit of God. And lack is the key word here. They lack compassion. They lack forgiveness. They lack gratefulness. They lack love. Um, these people have bought into the lie that God is a taker and not a giver of life. And here's the irony, that the more we give self, the less self gets. They have given over to a harshness and a self-centeredness they have given over to being lovers of their comfort instead of pursuing God. And here's what I read too, that it's predatory behavior. Now listen to how the book of James puts it. 
James says this, because he addresses this as well in James 4. He says, what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires that war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. You don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you do ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. You adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes an enemy of God, makes you an enemy of God? And I say it again, if you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy with God. Notice that James says that it's the evil desires, the evil desires within us that destroy us. It's the misdirection of passions and desires. The church family, I just wanna be clear that here's what I'm not saying, and I hope that's, this is not what you're hearing, that God is good, you're bad, so stop it. It's not what I'm saying. The answer is not to kill passion and desire, not at all. That is not how God created us um, to be passion, passionless people, no. I mean, all you have to do is read the Psalms. David was a passionate guy, and God said that he was a man after his own heart. God wants to fan and, def fan and deflame your passion and desire, but in the right direction. One of my favorite quotes ever is by C.S. Lewis, and he said this, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is being offered to us. And like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. You see, the answer is not to kill all desire and passions. It's letting the spirit of the living God set them ablaze for his glory. Church, beloved by God, church family, we can be like these things on that list in 2 Timothy in a moment. Or we can pre pretend not to be these things in a moment. If our primary goal in life is not God and the things of God, then maybe we need to read that list again. I don't know if you can relate to any of that. I know I can. It's been dealing with me. And maybe um, for some of you here tonight, you've been hurt by people like this. And I'm honestly so sorry that that has happened to you. If you've ever been a victim of predatory behavior like those things that were listed there. And my prayer for you, for you is that you would let God tend and heal you here tonight or at least let him start the process, amen? And if you're here tonight and you saw parts of yourself in that list, I wanna say as gently, as humbly as I can, that it's time to repent. You see, the rest of that James 4 passage says this. He says, do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate that the spirit he's placed within us should be faithful to him. 
And listen to this, he gives grace generously. And the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. What a promise. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and he will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you've done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. Here's what I know for sure that when we come to God, he's so faithful and just to forgive us. No shame. He is a shame lifter. He takes all our shame, condemnation, and guilt, past, present, future, and he nailed it to the cross forever. He does not hold your sins against you, Romans 8 says. And he takes all our pain, and as only he can, he turns it into something beautiful. He turns our sadness into laughter and gloom into joy. And I'm gonna ask the worship band to come out. But I want us to all to take a minute again to have a look at this list as the band comes out. Now I wanna say that the, um, as we look at that, if you can relate to any of it, if you see these tendencies in yourself, don't miss the opportunity to confess it to our God. And I wanna say that the Christian life is not that we won't ever do these things ever, that we will ne never get off the track or never leave the path of truth, as Paul says, or never have misdirected our loves in the wrong direction. No, it's a daily, daily struggle. But as we mature and grow, as Christ's followers, as you mature, as you grow up in the faith, as Christ's followers, we leave the path less and less, and we are quicker to return to him when we blow it, amen? That's what it is. And as the band plays, I implore you, as you value your life, to talk to God, that he will meet you right where you are, and I'm gonna ask that you guys pray, talk to him, pray for each other in rows if you feel comfortable. You can come to the front as the band plays, but that you have this conversation with God and he's so full of grace and will so meet you and where you're struggling. Let him minister to you, amen?
ministers to me so much. And it's this. If it doesn't come up, I'll tell you what it is. It's a bonfire on the beach. Because I know I want that for my life. I want God to fan to flame all my passion and desires. And I don't want it to be a misdirection of love. I, I want it to be a direct channel to Him. To fan it into flame for His glory. For His renown. For His name. Yeah. But I also love the picture of the bonfire because to me it's a picture of restoration. You see, Peter the disciple, when he sees Jesus again after the resurrection, he doesn't even know if Jesus will accept him because he's denied him. He's blown him royally. And he's in the boat and he's gone back to fishing. And he sees Jesus. John says to him, it's the Lord and Peter, <laughs> He's such a passionate guy, jumps into the water and he swims over and he sees Jesus. And he doesn't even know if he's going to be accepted, but what's Jesus doing on the beach? He's cooking the breakfast. And I love that because Jesus is cooking for them because they all deserted him. He's cooking for them and he's cooking on a charcoal fire. Now charcoal fire is only mentioned one other time in the Gospels the same fire that Peter was sitting around when he denied Jesus. And I'm sure when he saw it, he must have gone, oh no. <laughs> but Jesus is like, I know what you did, but I love you. I love you. I'm here. Let's turn it around. See, only God can do that. Only God can turn our shame into something So may your week that you be able to continue to have these conversations with God, that you talk to someone, that you let the healing process begin if you're related to any of that. If you've had at all a misdirection of love, oh, let God heal that in Jesus' name. God, I, I want that more than anything. May your word burn in us. May your spirit burn in us. Make us a passionate people for your glory. Thank you, God, for your grace and your mercy and your love towards us. Bless your holy name. Be with your people, God. Have your way in your lives. Thank you, Father. We marvel at who you are. Jesus precious name and everybody said amen amen come back next week be good <laughs>